Hello and happy Sunday, everybody. I hope everybody is having a wonderful Sunday. I know that it was a blessed time with my church family, Ignite 360 Church here in Owensboro, of just worshiping the name of the Lord Jesus Christ together, digging deep into the Word, and then we, we ended it with a time of fellowship and a Thanksgiving feast that was so good, but it was just great being together as a church family. So today we are going to continue with another episode on Ain't That the Truth. Today we are going to be looking at the book of First Peter. I have enjoyed doing this study with, with you all and, and digging deep into the Word together. Um, again, I want to encourage you guys, after I finish these episodes, I always upload them to Facebook. If, if you want to find me on Facebook and, and, and friend me up, Please do, and then comment on these, and, and tell me what the Lord is speaking to you through these scriptures, because iron sharpens iron, and we're, we're supposed to grow together, and learn from each other, and glean from each other. I don't have all the answers. I will never claim to. So, I love to, to learn, and I love to grow with everybody. So, please, please feel free to comment. Alright, so let's dig deep today into First Peter. So the first uh, set of scriptures that stuck out to me in 1 Peter was chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now it is for a little time you, ha you have had to suffer various trials in order that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The scripture is all about the fact that the Bible is not um, silent and um, secretive about the fact that we are going to experience trials and tribulations and suffering. The Bible is very forthcoming with that. You know, the Lord warned us, you know, in this life you will receive trials. You will... Um, have tribulations and and there will be suffering but he didn't just end it there like okay you're going to suffer but he also tells us that there is going to be good that is going to be produced from the suffering the trials and the tribulations that we face here it talks about you know when we face various trials um it produces the genuineness in our faith and, and genuineness is is the realness of our faith real true faith comes from enduring trials and seeing how the Lord is faithful even during those trials and that suffering to, to, to still be with you and to still love and to still guide even in the midst of those trials. These trials produce faith, real genuine faith, and that even though it is tried by fire, so even though it's refined, it may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything that we face and every good that is produced in us is all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Not for our own glory. Not so we can be built up. But so that way we can uh, show and, and be examples of the glory of God and the awesomeness of God to others. The second scripture that really, really, really stuck out to me um, was simply verse 16 of chapter 1 that says... Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. The word holy has just been on my heart and on my mind a lot lately. So I'm going to to dig into this, even this short verse, just for a few minutes. 
that kind of want to dis dissect holiness. You know, uh, we've been singing a lot of songs at church about the holiness of God. You are holy. You're oh so holy. You are holy, Lord of all. And I was really um, wanting to think about those words as I was singing them because I never wanted this worship and it just be words that I am singing and, and a melody that I am singing. But I really want to, to always take the time to think deeply about what I'm singing and what, what I'm really trying to convey in the worship song that I'm singing. I think that's super important. I don't want to just go through the motions. And now so I was thinking about the word holiness. So the word holiness means to be set apart. Um, and obviously we know that the Lord is holy. He is set apart. But we are also to be set apart. And I was thinking about the, the you know, what, what that means is, is that the Lord, he transcends all, all physical nature, this world. He is apart from this world. He is not bound by the laws of nature, by the, by the physical laws, um, by our finite understanding, but he is set apart. He is above all. He is, is truly holy. And, and, and what does that mean? That he is pure, that he is without blemish. Um, and we need to desire to be holy as he is holy. Does that mean that we're going to be perfect? No. But that just means that we should be imitators of Christ. You know, while he was here on earth, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And even though he was fully man, he did not sin. He was still the perfect and spotless lamb, even after living here on this earth. Because even though he has suffered many trials and temptations, I mean, it talks in the gospel about how Satan tempted him and and there were times in his life where he was tempted, even in, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, his, his, his flesh was crying out, God, I don't want to do this. But, but he knew his purpose and he was like, not my will, but yours be done. See, even throughout all of that, everything that he faced, he remained holy. He remained set apart, not of this world. And we need to be imitators of Christ in that. We need to be holy as he is holy. And that is so, so, so important. And that's not, not, not something that we should take uh, lightly or we should say flippantly, but that it's important and, and, um, we should view it as that. And like I said, does that mean that we're not going to make mistakes? We are because we are fully human. There ain't no fully God in us. We are fully human, but guess what? We have been bought with a price. We are now in a right relationship with him. Therefore, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to be able to withstand the, tr the temptations that might come our way to sin and to not live a holy life set apart for God. The next portion of scripture that stuck out to me was um, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 1. It says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass, the grass grass withers and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached to you. There are times in our life where we are going to be disappointed, where, where we're going to be going through, you know, those said trials where, where people leave us, where people abandon us, where, um, where people fail us. But we can have the confidence that the word of God remains forever. 
you know, this morning at church, uh, one of the themes in all of our worship songs this morning was, you know, that we can hold on to his promises because all of his promises are yes and amen. All he's asked is that we believe. He will be faithful to fulfill his promises as we continue to believe and to hold firm and remain steadfast in him. And we can hold firm that the word of the Lord, this Bible that we are talking about right now, it remains forever. The truths that are in here were truths for back then, but they're truths for today as well. It never, it never changes. It's the same truth. It lasts forever. It remains. Things in this life will wither away just like a flower. It's, it blooms for a season and it's alive for a season, but then it eventually withers. But the word of God will never wither. It will never fade away. The truth of the word of God will remain the ultimate truth. No matter what changes in the culture, no matter um, the generations to come, the word of God remains consistent and stays the same. And I think that that's something that I wanted to point out today is that there's a lot of people that um, think that the interpretation of the Bible changes based off the culture. Um, they think that, oh, there's uh, some parts of the Bible that was for the culture back then. We have a different culture now. So our interpretation of the Bible needs to shift with the culture. That is not true. The word of God is truth and the truth that it was back then is the same truth that it is now. We can't uh, format this and finagle it, if you will, to, to pursue our agendas and what we feel like is culturally or politically correct in the day. No. It says, for instance, homosexuality is a sin. It was a sin back then. It's a sin now. No matter how many people want to have their gay pride, you know, good for them. But you know what? Not good for them because you know what? They need to know the truth, that there is only one type of love. That God created love to be a certain, certain way. And we need to be preachers of that. And not saying, well, you know what? Love is love. Let's just conform the scripture. It was talking about back then. Homosexuality wasn't okay back then. You know what? It wasn't okay back then and it's not okay now. Same thing with, you know, cussing. Oh, what was cuss words back then are not cuss words now. No, we need to be careful about the motive behind the words that we're saying. Because it's not so much the word, but it's the motive and the heart behind what we're saying. But we need to 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 allow the Bible to be our standard, but the same standard that it was back then is the same standard that it is now. The word of God does not change. Its meaning does not change. <clears throat> the next scripture that stuck out to me was actually found in chapter 2. It's chapter 2, verse 9, which states... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may declare the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think it's important in this day and age that we remember who we are in Christ. Identity is something that has been, I would say, has been attacked most in, in this generation. Um, and in this world right now, identity is being attacked. Um, you have all these these different people that are attacking other people's identity and, and trying to form their own identity instead of letting the Lord tell them who they are. The Lord has already spoken who we are. He has spoken that we are chosen, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy 
nation, a people for God's own possession. We are, were created for him, for his glory, to, to love him, to be loved by him, and to spread the gospel to all nations. That is our identity, is a child of the one true king. And I think it's important if we are going to be people that are following hard after God and are serving him and are ministering to others, that we are fully aware of who we are in him, what he has already spoken to us. We have been grafted in. We are sons and daughters of the one true king. We uh, are our people for God's own possession so that we may declare the goodness of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He, we are chosen so that way we can proclaim his glory, his goodness, and his love to all the earth. That is super important because once you know who you are in Christ, you know what your purpose is and then you will start to walk out in that purpose. The next scripture that stuck out to me was chapter, or chapter, wow, verse 11, excuse me. In chapter 2, Dearly beloved, I implore you, as aliens and refugees, abstain from fleshly lusts, which raise war against you. Live your lives honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they speak against you as evildoers, they shall see your good deeds, and thereby glorify God in the day of visitation. We are um, aliens of this world, because we are not of this world. I know this is not my home. My home is to be with Jesus in the presence of Jesus in heaven forever. That's my home. I am just a person passing through. And and as that, I need to abstain from the, the fleshly lusts. Abstain from the passions of my flesh. Abstain from being tempted to live a life in the flesh. To abstain from sexual immorality. To abstain from drinking. To abstain from... From gossip to abstain from lying to abstain from you know backstabbing people to to abstain from coveting to to abstain from taking the Lord's name in vain whatever it may be to abstain from sin and to live honorably among the Gentiles or the or the non-believers so that though they they may speak against me saying, oh, she's just a hypocrite, or oh, she's just one of those holy rollers, that they may see the good works and thereby glorify God. Again, everything that we should uh, do should be for the glory of God, not for our own glory, not so that we can look all holy and all wonderful, but it's to proclaim the glory of God so that he gets the glory and he gets the honor. The next set of scripture that stuck out to me um, again, is in verse 2, and it is 16 and 17, which says, As free people do not use your liberty as a covering for evil, but live as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed, and we have been set free through Christ and what he did for us. On that cross, we have been set free. We are no longer slaves to fear or to sin, but we are children of God. But we cannot um, abuse, if you will, that freedom in order to say, oh, I, I'm free. I can live any life or any way that I want to because I, I've been set free. No, 
we should we were set free so that way we can be an example to all through the way that we live uh, an example of what it is to be a Christ follower what it is to to be a lover of Jesus and to to serve him and so we have to be careful what we do with the freedom that God has given us you know just like we have to be careful with with having that um slippery slope of grace and what I mean by that is God doesn't give us grace so that way we can keep on sinning and then just ask for his forgiveness and he'll have mercy and grace on us. No, he has grace on us because he knows that we're going to mess up and he wants to be able to forgive us and, 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 and still call us his. But guess what? We can't take that slippery slope of grace and just say, ooh, he's given me grace. He's made me free. Therefore, I can live whatever way that I want and then just repent for it later. That's not the way that it works. And so this is, is, is warning the people, yes, God has made you free and, and he has made you a, a son and, and daughter of his, but that is not supposed to be used to be able to do whatever you want, but you should use that wisely. It says to honor all people, to love the brotherhood, to fear God and to honor the king. So it's all about loving God first and foremost and loving his people. It says um, in the Bible that, you know, you're supposed to, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That it, that is, that, that can sum up all, all of the commandments of God in those two things. Those are the most important things to remember, to love the Lord your God with all that you are, and to love others. We have been set free so that way we can freely love and extend his love and his mercy and his compassion to those around us. Now we're going to get into chapter 3. And chapter 3 has a lot, a lot, a lot of goodness in it. So chapter th uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husband, so that if any do not obey the, the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Um, I love uh, when the Bible talks about what a godly marriage is should look like and how you know the wife is supposed to be submissive to the husband but the husband is also supposed to 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 be honoring to the wife um and, and it says um wives if you honor your husband um and, and 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 stuff um if they're not ones that obey the word they may be won over without a word just by the conduct of their wives and i was thinking about that about how that like that's not just in a husband and wife situation but if we will be obedient and submissive to Christ in all that we do, even without saying a word, our lives can be an example to other people, to non-believers, just by our, our obedience to him and doing what he's called us to do, that in itself is a witness to other people. Sometimes we don't have to say the name of Jesus or open up a Bible to be a witness to other people, but they'll see our life, see the joy and the love that we have in Christ, the grace, extend, grace extenders that we are in Christ, the compassionate people that we are in Christ, the people full of joy and of peace and love, that even without saying a word, we're ministering to them and they want to follow Jesus because of the life that we live. That's the way it should be. Then you've got verse 8. It says, Finally, be all of one mind, be loving toward one another, be gracious and be kind. God has really been speaking to me a lot lately about being in unity with other people and loving other people as a way of being unified. 
And the thing about unity is that when you're, you can be unified with someone without always agreeing with every um, opinion that they have. You don't have to agree with everything that, that, you, that they do in order to be in unity with somebody. You know, you can be a part of a team and, and, and sometimes be frustrated by, by something that another person does or, or, or s- says and, and not necessarily always agree with their opinions, but still love them and still be in unity. And we as the body of Christ need to step up and to be in unity. It doesn't matter denomination. It doesn't matter, um, oh, I go to this church, you go to that church. You know what? But we're still at large, the body of Christ, the, the bigger picture, the bigger body, not just, you know, this church, that church, but we are all a part of the body of Christ and we need to live in unity. In this day and age, um, specifically, it is so important that the church is unified because the church is being picked apart. There's so much that is going against the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, and the church needs to step out and be unified in that. I really do believe that, that we need to be unified with other believers in Christ, even if we don't always agree, as long as we agree that Jesus Christ is the only way, he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the answer for the world today, that's what ultimately matters, and we can be unified in sharing that with other people. Verse 15 of chapter 3 says, me find it here but sanctify the lord god in your hearts always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and with fear i love this verse because it is so important that we are always ready to be able to share what god has done for us we should always be ready to share you know the bible talks about you know, being in season and out of season, which means that we're always prepared to share about Jesus. Because you never know when the opportunity is going to arise for you to be able to give your testimony or just to share the goodness of God and all that he is. And we need to always, 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 always be ready for that. And I love the last part of that. It says, uh, uh, the reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and fear. It's important that when we are speaking the truth, that we do it in in a gentle way because we don't want to scare people off and we don't want want people to to, um, be intimidated or afraid to come in, but we need to speak to them with gentleness and with compassion. Um, It needs to feel like an invitation of them to join in the family of God and not something that they should be fearful of, but it also says in gentleness and fear. Like, to, to, to fear the Lord is, is a reverence of understanding his power and understanding who he is to, 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 to honor, honor it. We should never take lightly the, the task of, of um, telling somebody else about Jesus. Um, it should, shouldn't be something that we flippantly do, but at the same time, we need to always be ready. Now we're going to get into chapter 4. Um, We're about three-fourths of the way through here. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, So that he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh, serving human desires, but the will of God. Again, we live our lives. Our lives were given to us. Freedom was given to us. Forgiveness was given to us. So that way we can live for God. And living for God means that we are denying the flesh. And I am honing that in today because it is not easy in the world that we live in. It is absolutely 100% 
not easy to to live a holy life, to live a life that's set apart, to deny the desires of the flesh because there's such temptation out there. There's so many idols with an eye, if you will, out there that are, are vying for our time, our affection, and our attention. And it's so easy to get distracted by those things. But we have to understand our purpose is to live for God, to imitate Christ, and to bring others into a right relationship with Him. It is dying to our flesh daily. Take up your cross daily and follow Him. I think about the, the disciples. You know, some of them were, were, were fishermen and everything, and they literally left their boats. They left their families, and they were like, you know what, Saranara, like, I'm going to follow God, you know, let the the dead bury their own dead. You don't worry about it. Just come and follow me. They literally abandoned everything. They abandoned uh, what they knew as their livelihood in order to follow Jesus. And we need to be people who are willing to do that, to abandon all and to um, let our lives be wrecked in a good way by Jesus. Um, verse 13 of chapter um says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, so that you may rejoice and be glad also in the re revelation of his glory. Just as Christ suffered, because, I mean, think about it. He was crucified on a cross, and at that moment, he was fully God and fully man, so he was fully feeling the pain of, of those whips and of the crown of thorns and the nails in his, in his hands and in his feet. Um, and that should humble us right there. We should never, um, that should never be a, a, like a Christianese cliche to us. But we should always be humbled by what he did on the cross. That he, yes, we are joining in his suffering. And does that mean that we're going to be nailed to a cross? Or to, to a cross or a tree or whatever you want to call it? No, I'm probably never going to have that happen to me. Um, but my suffering is going to look different. But, but you know what? I can rejoice knowing that if I'm suffering, I'm suffering just like Jesus did. And I know that the suffering was worth it. You know, um, to Jesus, it was worth it. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. His love for us says that it was worth it, worth all that suffering. And our suffering is worth it um, so that we may rejoice and be glad also in the revelation of his glory because we know that when we suffer that that being taken through that suffering produces so much and ultimately brings about his glory everything that we face will ultimately bring about his glory if we love him if we serve him through it and then you've got a few verses that i'm going to look at in chapter five before we end this podcast today chapter five Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Take care of them, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Taking care of the sheep is important. The shepherd, they, they know where their sheep is at all time, and they take care of them. And I know that a lot of people think, oh, that verse is just for pastors who are pastoring a, a church, and they need to make sure that they are um, shepherding you know, their congregation well. We're all supposed to be shepherds in one way or another, leading other people to Christ. And we should be shepherding and leading well. 
not with constraint, but willingly. Shepherding and leading is not always easy. When you're leading somebody to Christ, you better believe that you are going to be personally attacked because you are trying to further the kingdom and the enemy does not like that. But instead of being uh, being in constraint and hulking back with, with your passion and sharing the, 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 the word with others because you're afraid of the suffering, you're going to have to rejoice in that suffering knowing that someone else is going to be added to the kingdom and that God is ultimately going to be glorified. And then the last set of scripture that I wanted to look at was chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. It says, Likewise, you younger ones, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and clothe yourself and clothe yourself with humility, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him firmly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So I wanted to break down these five verses very quickly. The first verse says, Likewise, you younger ones, submit yourself to the elders. We should be people, uh, and it says, yes, all of you be submissive one to another and clothe yourself with humility. Um, I think it's important for us all to be humble and to realize that there are always going to be people who know more than we do. There's always going to be um, people that can sharpen us, that can, that can um, speak into our lives, who have walked through things. And experience things and then therefore can help you as you walk through things and experience things. And, and right now, and right here in this verse, it talks about um, younger ones submit to elders. And I don't think that just means, you know, an age. Although I think, you know, you know, me as a 20 something year old, there's a lot of older ones in my congregate in the congregation at church that I like to glean from that I like to talk to that have experienced things that can speak into my life as I'm experiencing them now. But I think it's also talking about just immature ones versus mature ones. Baby Christians. Talk to those that are that are mature in their faith who have been Christians for a long time who have faced the trials and tribulations of denying the flesh. Let them speak into your life. Be humble. Don't think that you have it all together because the moment you think you have it all together is the, the moment that you really don't. Because we'll never have it all together. We'll never have all the answers. There's more of God in the word to be learned. And there are going to be things that other people know. Maybe that you don't know. So we should always live in humility. Not not proud thinking that we have it all together. And then it says. God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. It says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you in due time. I don't want to ever exalt myself and put myself on a pedestal, but I want the Lord to exalt me in due time, to put me where he wants me to be in due time. Because when he exalts you, it'll be an eternal thing. But if you exalt yourself, it'll be temporary and it's not going to be worth it. And then it says, be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion. We have to be people that we're vigilantly watching 
and vigilantly aware that the devil is lurking to see whom he can devour, whom he can can cause to stumble and to not live for Christ. We need to be watchful at all times. Being sober-minded is having that alertness, having that clarity of mind to see the schemes of the enemy. It says to resist the enemy and he shall flee. If we resist, he's got nothing to do but to flee. Um, holding firm in our faith, knowing that the same afflictions are experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. You've got to understand that every Christian is being being attacked by the enemy. At some point or another, every follower of Christ is being attacked because the devil attacks because he's scared. The devil attacks because he doesn't want to see the word of God spread throughout the, world, the earth. So therefore, everybody is experiencing some trial or another. Our trials may not look the same. By an earthly standpoint, some people might be suffering more than others, but nonetheless, we are all experiencing trials and tribulations. And the thing is, is that we need to be able to stand firm knowing that we're not alone in this. And that's why I think it is so important to be a part of a church family and that I'm so thankful for my church family that as I go through things, as I go through trials and tribulations and suffering, that I can have them pray for me, that I can have them walk through the things with me to help me process what I'm going through and to help me to stand firm in my faith. So it is important to have accountability partners, have people, have a church family, have people in your life that can lift you up when you feel like you're being torn down because the enemy is attacking you because of what you're doing for Christ. I know that that was a lot to get through today, but I just felt so strongly to do it because there's just so much packed in the book of First uh, Peter. And there were, were, were portions of this that I skipped that I could have talked about, but I wanted to, to point out the main ones that stuck out to me. Um, so next week we'll uh, go through Second um, <clears throat> Peter, which is a little shorter, so it'll be a little bit of a shorter episode. But before I get off of here and share this to Facebook, I, I, I want to just give you a couple of questions, I guess, to ponder this week. And maybe even you want to comment your answers to some of these or your thoughts to these questions. Um, but But... First question is, what does holiness mean to you? When you think about the holiness of God and, and think about that, that verse that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What, does, what, what do you picture when you see that? What do you picture when you think about the holiness of God and, and that we're supposed to be imitators of that holiness? What, what do you visualize? Number two. In what ways in your life do you need to show more love? Do you think that you are doing good in the amount of love that you show to other people? Or do you believe that you could do better? I know for me personally, I believe that like I do well showing love for other people. But there's always room to grow and to improve. To improve. And lastly, are you sober-minded, watchful, and alert for the... um? The attacks of the enemy and the ways that the enemy would try to devour you if not what ways can you you help yourself to become more alert and aware of the attacks of the enemy again thank you so much for joining with me today i enjoyed being with you guys 
Again, I will be sharing this on Facebook and would love for you guys to tell me what you think. Um, what things are God, is God speaking to you through these different passages of scripture and different topics that we talked about today. But as always, remember to hold on to the truth. The word of God, which is the truth that lasts forever and ever. See you guys next week.